This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and centre. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, good evening. You're listening to The Cable Live on DAB Digital Radio. That last phrase where Alex goes, behavioural challenges from the pandemic could linger for years. It probably will with me. Um, In terms of uh, what we've had going on today, Alex, I'm really struggling with today. I'm massively struggling today. Hmm. I I, I can't kind of pull an obvious narrative out. I can't kind of find an obvious thread. Uh, Everything's just kind of all over the place. You've got the kind of the Gensler hearing happening. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening on Wall Street. You've got this Green Seal story. Uh, You've got the ECB still kind of banging on about the fact that yields are rising too much, not actually maybe doing anything about it. It's really hard to kind of pull anything out that is uh, the signal to noise ratio i think that there's a lot of noise today Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that not good yeah not good i can see that Um, i find it quite frustrating this is us also getting off of two hours of tv where all of this was happening uh, at the same time um particularly all these changes uh, over at goldman sachs and the move of apollo potentially with green sills and all, all of that but um i think if we are able to take a step back the conversation that we were having earlier in the day before the noise kind of kicked in um was what the chinese regulator said about bubbles uh, outside of yep. um chinese assets and the bubbles in foreign markets, which is, I don't know, that feels a little like pot kettle black, but like we can go with it for a sec. Well, to, to that point, the Nasdaq's beginning to, to come under a little bit of pressure now. So maybe some of the steam is beginning to come out. Massive move yesterday uh, on the upside, but but now beginning to, to fade that move. But But there doesn't seem to be a clear narrative behind that. Why is the Nasdaq under pressure today? I don't know. I, is, is it really the Chinese? It doesn't seem to have kicked nah, in particularly really. quickly. I just feel we're under, unwinding yesterday's move. Yeah. Um, well, let's get some other news here and news headlines. Radio legend. I'm legend. told. Legend really? is with us. John Tucker, you're a legend. You're that old, I guess? It's rough. <laughs> oh, is, that, is that what it means? I mean, that's what we were told. I d- that's, so, John, that's uh, not what I think. I just think you're <laughs> a straight-up legend. <laughs> I'm at the point where they'd start calling you the senior correspondent. Senior right, being right. old, I guess. <laughs> hey, for what it's worth, I had uh, pre-pandemic behavioral challenges guy uh footsie doesn't surprise me (laughs) i'm starting to insult myself footsie 100 right now 25 points higher up about four tenths of a percent uh since this is the cable let's do uh sterling 139.63 so that's about uh, three tenths of a percent higher against the dollar right now s&p 500 down 21 the dow after yesterday's surge uh, down 111 points and the nasdaq as you mentioned uh 143 points lower right now best explanation there are probably more sellers than buyers um home prices we sorted that out yeah you know well that's the explanation i always go to it's the simplest uh uk house house prices rose unexpectedly in the month of february values increasing seven tenths of a percent from january to an average 231,000 pounds housing boomed with a rush to get more space and take advantage of the uh, temporary relief on the stamp duty it's kind of odd to talk about rising home prices during the worst economic recession in three centuries. And, of course, in the prelude to his annual budget tomorrow, the finance minister uh, giving a series of interviews to warn about tax increases in the future and spending cuts that are going to be needed to offset the 300 billion pounds of aid handed out since the uh, pandemic struck. 
Here in the U.S., the FBI Director Chris Wray said in his first public testimony since the attack on the U.S. Capitol that violent domestic extremists motivated by racial and anti-government ideology have been given equal priority to Islamic State and other terrorist groups. And President Biden, he's going to announce that Merck will help Johnson & Johnson's single-shot vaccine, a collaboration between rivals as governments race to ramp up supply. And there you have it. I'm a radio legend. Senior From the correspondent, legend, John Tucker. John Tucker. Senior, senior legend. <laughs> Charlie's actually more senior than me. Hopefully he's going to be back tomorrow. Not he may be more that. sensitive, though, so I don't... <laughs> we'll just keep calling you legend. It's fine. It'll oh. be cool. <laughs> okay. Um, we're joined now on the line by senior editor <laughs> for Markets, John Authors, um, who is also a legend. Um, John, thanks for joining us this evening. Um, the Chinese believe that there are bubbles forming in foreign markets. What's your take on this? Uh, there are bubbles. I mean, there are plainly, very obviously bubbles forming uh, at the edge of the U.S. market in tech, uh, and it's a little bit silly to deny that. Some of the, you know, there will, there will always be excesses going on somewhere in the market, but I, I guess my favorite example is uh, um, Signal Advance, the company that uh, shot up after uh, Elon Musk said yeah. uh, switch to Signal, meaning the Signal app. It's still four times higher than it was before he made that tweet. Uh, you're sitting on a 300% gain thanks to that mistaken identity, which was cleared up a month ago. So there's plainly some very silly things are happening at the margins. I don't think you can call what we have in the in the, the, uh, the global markets at the moment a bubble or in the U.S. market as a whole a, a bubble. Plainly, it's a risk uh, if things carry on as they have done recently for another year or two. Well, you know, what was interesting in your column overnight – which Guy and I kind of obsessively read, um, is you talked you. about uh, ARC Innovation and you talked about that earlier in the week and you got responses on both mm. ends, um, which yes. was interesting in terms of what the street and what investors look at as signal versus noise. Yes. Uh, it bothers me myself that basically the argument was that uh, when Tesla rebounded last week, having you know, fell in... In round numbers, it fell almost 30% and then rebounded almost 20% last week. And really, the only news was that Kathy Wood of Arkett had bought some more Tesla on the dip. Kathy Wood having been, A, phenomenally successful over the last year, and B, very bullish about Tesla. Um, and I described that as an example of the noise drowning out the signal at the margins of the market. And... Uh, you know, I had one respondent saying, "What are you talking about? If somebody like Kathy Wood buys uh, buys Tesla, then that's obviously signal. It's the very definition of signal." And another guy wrote in to tell me he'd never heard of her, and he was quite glad he had nothing personal against this woman he'd, he'd never heard of. But you're better off not hearing that noise. Uh, and I do have more. The, the amazing thing was both of them managed to spell Kathy Wood's surname wrong, which really <laughs> took, takes some doing. Uh, uh, but beyond, uh, uh, beyond, so neither of them picked up the signal exactly correctly. They couldn't spell wood. Um, but beyond, beyond that, I, uh, the fact that even a very successful, a currently very successful fund manager buys a stock on the dip is taken as um, a signal to the market is uh, bothersome to me. It really does show an honest confusion 
signal and and noise. But I don't think you can apply that to the the market as a whole. We've got this very complicated, very difficult um, issue where, given the amount of liquidity and given the low rates of uh, low, low interest available on bonds, plainly that would have an effect on valuation. And that's a very difficult situation, which has its own risks. But it's not like it's not a speculative bubble like we had in the States in 2000 or in Japan 10 years earlier. It's, it's importantly different from that. Do bubbles have to burst or can they deflate? The whole point of the concept of a bubble is that it can only burst, uh, I right. think is the idea. So uh, a, 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 a bull market can peak and then go down again. Um, uh, so arguably if... if if Greenspan hadn't intervened after LTCM, at that point we were at a classic top of bear, top of bull market valuations, and you could have seen more of a gradual descent from there. A bubble can only burst. Uh, the, the notion being that that's because you've moved into this sort of Ponzi phase or greater fool yeah. phase where people are only buying because they think it can go up. So, the, yeah, the, I, I, I think there are that's certain a, yeah. stocks at the margins that can only burst, but I wouldn't say that's okay. about the market as a whole. John, stick around. We'd love you to carry on the conversation with us. Bloomberg's John Authors. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Technologies change and markets change, but we should always evaluate new approaches to markets and payment order flow is something that uh, I think the recent events, as you rightly pointed out, uh, raises its important to look at economically and look at whether retail investors are getting best execution. That was Gary Gensler in his confirmation hearings in the U.S. and D.C. Um, he is, of course, President Biden's pick to lead the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. Also, it would have been very cool if they had played that music uh, over his testimony, but that didn't happen. That was just us. Um, John Authors, a Bloomberg Opinion columnist, is still with us. Um, I wonder how you look at the future of the SEC. This won't be boring, I promise. Um, in terms <laughs> of the market, like, sh- <laughs> what did you say? We never do boring on, on Bloomberg. That's no, the, no, yeah, no, no. We're no, very no, no, feisty. No, um, no, no. Does that help stop the bubble? Well, can I, I think Gary Gensler and um, I think he genuinely does deserve a lot of the very positive reputation he's built, he's gained from his work with the CFTC in, in the, the aftermath of the last um, you know, true bubble. I, I think uh, an, I think some of the stuff that's going on at the moment is at what I would say in the SEC's wheelhouse, looking at uh, uh, whether whether uh, market structures are being overextended, whether, whether rules are being stretched rather than when it gets really scary, which is when it's in the Fed's wheelhouse, when there's just too much, too much money around and the whole thing is is uh, overblown. So yes, I, I can see, uh, and, and plainly, uh, Gary Gensler's whole history shows that he does understand that um, regulators really can allow a lot of harm to happen if they don't occasionally intervene. Um, so personally, yes, I can see him being a part of uh, a part of the answer here, a part of the uh, a part of the. You know, the, the idea is to head off this becoming a true, you know, Ponzi stage 
bubble, as opposed right. to you know a high valued, you know, highly valued bull market, well, can... and uh, that he might he is exactly the kind of person that would help us do that. Well, this comes this comes back to my question that mm. I was asking before about bursting and deflating. Mm. How I, yeah. if you get into that kind of Ponzi scheme at the end. Is there anything regulations can do? Is there anything that that government can do at that point, other than simply step aside and almost kind of let it happen? Very, very little. I mean, there's, there's the uh, uh, one of the classic arguments made by central banks is, well, we can't stop it happening, but we can at least be absolutely there, ready to yeah. help mop up after it happens. Is, is the Fed still going to do if, that this time round, John? If if this was if we I, your suggestion is we're not there yet, but maybe we do get there. The Fed oh, is sounding I, I really poli- should be on the on the uh, on the on the watch out for it. Yes, sorry, carry on. Yes, the, yes. the Fed is becoming more and more political. The Fed seems to want to engage in social engineering. Is the Fed yeah. really going to be prepared to let the stock market slide? It, it, because if it if it doesn't let the stock market slide, the rich are going to suck. I, I I just wonder kind of where we are. We seem to be getting into a really kind of complicated phase now. We're in. We're, we're, no, I agree with you completely. We're in this very strange phase where um, uh, J-PAL, for, for for good reason, is is plainly saying we have to deal with unemployment because we didn't manage to deal with unemployment correctly in the in the last cycle in the post-crisis decade, and he goes out of his way to point, you know, very reasonably to the, the, the serious social inequities that are that are shown in employment. That does imply, however, the, the way he's the way that the, the Fed is going about that is sparking asset price inflation in the hope that that will then spark capex uh, and you know the, the general. Wealth effects and the general economic recovery, but the asset price inflation does actually, uh, on, in its mm-hmm. own right, make the situation of inequality even worse. Yeah, uh, and you're quite right; it's going to be very difficult for him to burst that bubble. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't want that job. I don't think any of us really want that job. John, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Like I said, read his column every day. We do it religiously. Uh, John Authors, a Bloomberg Opinion columnist. Thank you very much. Uh, Talking cars, Volvo, EVs. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. Let's talk about cars. Let's talk about EVs. Let's talk about uh, when you're going to be driving one. If you like Volvos, well, it's going to be by 2030. The company committing today, this is Volvo Cars, committing Alex to be fully electric by 2030. It's also shifting its sales online. Uh, Alex and I caught up with the CEO a little bit earlier on. It gives us the advantage to continue growing very rapidly. And then we see the market, especially the premium segment, moving into electrification. So we are firm believers that the future premium cars will be electric. That will be a growing segment, and we want to be in that growing segment. And then that's why we decided we have to move more decisively and faster into electrification. Does that mean that you get out of countries that don't want all electric vehicles? No, not necessarily, because we are a small player in the premium segment. And the Of course, electrification will be slower in some countries, but by 2030, we are still believing that that there will be a premium electric share of that market where we will uh, 
be positioned in. So, so I don't think we need to exit any markets, but uh, we will focus on, on the electric customer that will be available everywhere. Why do you think electric is the way to go? Uh, I ask this question genuinely. Everybody at the moment seems to be pointing uh, us in that direction. Government in particular around the world seems to be saying that, that electric vehicles are the way to go. Are you, are you in any way concerned that governments are mandating a solution rather than mandating an objective, i.e. reducing emissions? European governments in particular don't have a particularly good track record when it comes to powertrains. We all remember what happened with diesel. Yeah, I, I agree on that. But uh, we don't feel in any way dictated towards electrification. Uh, I think the governments have the right approach. Let's do something about the climate challenge. And uh, really, if you want to participate that from the car industry, then electrification is the right way to go. And then in that way, of course, we are doing that. But... Uh, more important is we are listening to our customers. Electric cars are very attractive and there is more and more demand for all electric cars. And uh, thirdly, I believe also this is a way really to strengthen the value base of our brand. It has been safety for many, many years. And uh, we believe that sustainability will be a very natural addition to our brand and increasing our value base because values will be important for customers and people working for us. Well, what I did notice, that, what I think the question with the EVs now becomes, is, is, is it the only way for cars? For example, hydrogen fuel cells is mm. going to be a lot greener once you can really get green hydrogen. You don't have to mm. mine stuff like cobalt, for example. Also, what we learned in Texas with the deep freeze is that you just can't plug in everything. Um, are you putting all the eggs in just one basket? And you and the industry, quite frankly. No, we, we believe it's absolutely the best solution. I mean, first of all, you have to go out from renewable energy. It could be wind, uh, hydro or solar. But then you can choose. Either you, you charge a battery or you convert it into hydrogen. If you convert it into hydrogen burning it in a fuel cell, you, you have a lower total efficiency. So think the best way of utilizing uh, electric power is to, to charge a battery and drive electric. So that is our course, our way forward. But of course, it's good with alternative and competition. We are quite sure about the, the battery electric vehicle as this, the right solution. Packard Samuelson, the CEO of Volvo Cars. Alex, um, we are all going in the same direction. Basically, just about every major car maker is going down the EV route. A few are going down the hydrogen route, but you are going to need critical mass if that's going to gain any traction. Um, but but you and I have been discussing this a great deal over the last couple of weeks, particularly kind of with with Texas kind of so close uh, in terms of of recent memory. You got to you have to have electricity to make your car work. Yeah, and also if, when it gets really cold, it won't work. But go ahead. But, but that's a problem. And do we have the capacity? Do we have the generating capacity? How does that capacity get created? Um, I think there's, there's a, a number of problems at the moment. And I, and I come back to this, this argument that at the moment we seem to be focused on the solution rather than the objective. The objective is to, to try and make vehicles more uh, sustainable. 
and and are, are EVs doing that? Well, they are in many ways, but they're not doing it in every way. Um, and well, that's when you have you to look at out, it holistically. There's a lot of stuff to dig out of the ground. That's what you have to look at holistically, exactly. So um, if you take a look at, say, hydrogen fuel cells, it, the technology is nowhere near ready to get green hydrogen. That's when you don't have any emissions at all. Um, but if you were to put more money into that, you can get down the cost curve, and then you truly do have a green car um, from scope one to scope three. So basically, that's the stuff you do when you're producing things. It's the product that you sell, and it's how you deal with your own uh, emissions as well. Um, EVs aren't like that because you got to mine lithium and you got to mine cobalt, and then there's copper, there's aluminum, there's all that kind of stuff that isn't necessarily clean yet. Absolutely. And and I don't think we've fully understood that as a society. I don't think we've also fully understood what happens when your utility doesn't provide the power that you need because something has gone wrong. And and at that point, basically, everything stops working. Mm-hmm. Like your house stops working, your car stops working. All Have you ever this... been in really cold weather with your iPhone? I'm thinking no, because you live in the UK. And I don't even yeah. think you have an iPhone. I, I, a, I don't have an iPhone, and B, it doesn't get that cold here. But I do have friends that have electric cars, yeah. and you talk to them about the range differential when it gets cold, and it's absolutely enormous. So I so I run um, outside, and I watch TV on my phone while I run, and I watch like shows you I've watch already TV watched. TV on your phone well, like, while you run? shows that I've already watched. Like I'm currently- You're re- not worried about bumping into things? No, I'm not looking at the screen. I look at it if I know a good part's coming up. Like I just did 30 Rock, and then now I'm into The Expanse again for the second so time. So you're basically using it as a radio. Yeah, with some visual entertainment. But I'm in my run, and I'm in, I'm into it. It's a p- critical part of the expanse. And then, boom, stops working. And I'm like, what is happening? This is seriously messing up my running time. Do not appreciate. Well, there's another downside as well. <laughs> yeah. It's Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Congratulations, you made it London. 5.30 p.m. where you are. I'm halfway done with my day here in New York uh, at 12.30. I'm Alex Steele on with Guy Johnson. Um, So, Guy, tech stocks are down here in the U.S. Maybe it's valuation warnings like from China, as we were discussing earlier. Maybe it's just some rebalancing. The only really big move that I see is that you finally see some buying in the belly of the curve here in the U.S. and gilts continue to really outperform. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens tomorrow with the budget. I think you're going to get a pretty good idea of uh, of where the UK financing needs are going to go. Clearly, there is still huge need for the government to borrow money, and that's going to exist for really quite some time. But you do wonder whether the UK government is going to be one of the first to dip its toe in the water of the idea that at some point these these finances, government finances, need to be put on a more sustainable footing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I. Is it too early? Is it not too early? At some point, you're going to have to make this decision. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how other governments react. I think it's going to be interesting to see how the British population react. I, I basically think they're going to go after companies, which is going to have a meaningful impact. Like you change the taxation on assets, for instance, and if you're in in the infrastructure business and you're trying to invest in the UK, a significant shift in corporation tax mm-hmm. is going to have a big impact on the the profitability of certain projects. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the government balances this all out. There is clearly a need to invest at this stage. Changing corporation tax is going to affect not that. not going to help that, yeah. How do, um, you, how do you balance that? And we will talk about that later on in the show. Leave it in the locker room, man. You don't want to give it all away. Do you know that phrase? Do you guys have that? 
We do. We have we have locker rooms. Yeah. No, the phrase. Um, we, call them, we call them change rooms. I know. Fine. Whatever. Okay. Lost let's go to uh, John Tucker, the legend, the senior, the fantastic John Tucker, updating us on all the news we need. Oh, uh, okay. I'll open the locker too. Sunak's uh, emphasis <laughs> on deficit cutting tomorrow probably. Uh, it's reminiscent of the conservative stance back in the uh, 2008 financial crisis. I'll just leave it at that, though, but uh, not to take anything away from you guys. Most of the major groups <laughs> in the S&P 500 retreating, uh, of course, led by technology companies. After yesterday's surge, you have Apple, Microsoft, Tesla uh, dragging down the NASDAQ 100. Look at bonds, and it looks like they are wavering. I was really surprised to hear this from Matthew Lazzetti. He's the chief U.S. economist at Deutsche Bank. Very optimistic. I mean, more so than most. Uh, he thinks when it comes to growth this year in the U.S., it's off to the races. We recently upgraded our forecast. We expect to see uh, a fiscal package put in 1.6, 1.7 trillion. We think that that leads to growth this year around seven and a half percent, with a few quarters of eight percent plus. Seven and a half, eight percent here in the U.S. GDP. Uh, in London, more than 29% of people in the capital estimated to have had the antibodies to COVID-19, the highest rate of any region in the UK. This comes from uh, estimates from the Office for National Statistics. It all highlights, of course, the rapid spread of the UK strain of the disease last month. And as we look at the markets, the FTSE was up about 25 points. That's a four-tenths of a percent rise at the close, uh, 66.13. Uh, right now, the S&P 500 is down 12 points. The tech-heavy NASDAQ down 122 points. And the Dow, 15 points lower. 10-year yield, 141. And British pound sterling, 139.66. That's up about three-tenths of a percent against the greenback. And the cable continues. Alex and Guy. All right, thank you. Using sound, totally putting us to shame with that. It must be the... Uh we use sound. What are you talking about? We don't throw to it in the middle of what we're saying. Well, you're talking. That's sound. <laughs> I guess some might say. Um, okay. Noise. So, others might say. No. Yes. My husband and my daughter front oh, and center oh, with no. that noise comment. Um, so we've been talking a lot about what's leading markets. We talked about uh, SEC. We're going to talk about the budget. Um, yet I do have to say, guy, that some of the top stories in the Bloomberg right now have to do with shakeups over at Goldman and people leaving and what that means and where they're going and sort of the fintech tech world. Yeah. I Bonus season's over. People are going to be departing. It's interesting they're all going from the same firm, it seems, at the moment, or maybe that's just the, the, the appearance. But a few people are certainly leaving Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs' chief lawyer departing. Um, she's just the latest uh, in, a, in a list of people that are exiting the bank. I do wonder whether some of this is kind of post-COVID. I, 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 the world is, is definitely going to change post-COVID. And we've all got used to making Zoom calls and Zoom. Mm -hmm. I, we were talking about that earlier on the TV show. People are convinced that that, that is going to remain a big part of our lives. Uh, we're all much more digitally savvy. Bigger portions of the society are, are digitally aware now. That opens up the opportunities in, in fintech. Um, and, I, and I do wonder whether or not as a result, Wall Street, which is a huge concentration of very clever people, is going to see actually some of the dispersion. People are going to be moving away from mm -hmm. big cities as well. Like all of this kind of, well, it does fit the narrative. Well, I feel like to some extent that was already happening. I remember sitting um, 
in one of my friend's living rooms, uh, and her son, I think he, he was in the last year of Cornell at that point, and uh, his best friend had an internship at Goldman over the summer, and, and he was a coder, straight-up coder, couldn't care less about finance, and he basically was offered a job because he's going to you yep. know run algos and all that. So that was already definitely starting in terms of who they're going to hire, but in terms of Businesses are focused on things like cryptocurrencies, payments, financial advice, no free, tra- no fee trading. That has clearly accelerated, um, and you need the banking expertise to go with the tech tech expertise. And it's a lot more difficult for these big banks to pivot on that because they just have so many other businesses and different kinds of regulation. I, I'm not even sure that it's necessarily just. I th- this is. I think there probably is a an element of, of fintech being here, but I I think it's going to go more broadly than that. Um, I think I think science has become much cooler as a result of this. I, people are much more interested in biochemistry, in uh, in, in genomics. I, I think the the people the effect- or you. No, I think people are genuinely. <laughs> well, you look at the number of people that are signing up uh, for medical degrees now, that's risen dramatically. Uh, you look at people that are going into the health sector, that's risen pretty dramatically. So people are, it, it, I think it's one of those kind of moments in time in society where you do see a pivot. Um, and and I just wonder whether this is going to be, I just wonder how this is going to affect Wall Street. I don't know the answer to this yet, but I've certainly been kind of thinking about it. Whether or not I, Wall Street has been the place to go to make money, but but society has changed as a result of this, and nothing is going to be the same again. And I do wonder whether society will be altered and whether Wall Street will be altered by this. And the people that are coming into Wall Street, whether they're going to be as convinced they want to work on Wall Street as they were before, because I just feel it's opening up options. Tech's already done it. I just wonder whether healthcare is going to be another kind of sort of leg to the stool. I mean, I just feel like that's already been happening. I mean, whether or not they go then to like fintech in the healthcare world instead is a very good question. Um, if you talk to a lot of private equity individuals, um, their whole thing is going to be in healthcare and not like doctors, but remote doctor offices yeah. uh, in terms of different kind of technology that you're using, um, getting better at tracking treatments to see. Um, whether or not it's working, predictive health, like they put stuff in you and then they're able to say, oh, time to take your insulin before you even know it. So like that kind of stuff, I know private equity is investing quite heavily uh, across the board and have been um, for a while. Um, but I think that that was already the case. Now, if they yeah, I, just, this- I just feel it's excel- I just feel this has the potential to accelerate it. Is this just, yeah, I also, I also have to wonder, and don't laugh at me, but space, I also yeah. feel the privatization of space, it's sexy again. It's Mars. It's cool. It's the 60s all over again. Yeah. Yeah, man. This Neither cable. of us can remember that. We're not that old. On Bloomberg. <laughs> this is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. The right thing to do now is to keep options open and not to commit ourselves to a precise path for government tax and spending measures. Uh, Lord King, former governor of the Bank of England, uh, speaking to Bloomberg yesterday. Uh, Bloomberg's Lucy Meakin joining us now. She will be covering the budget tomorrow. Um, what kind of commitments are we going to get from the Chancellor? Uh, are we going to start the process of balancing the books or is it simply too early to be committing to such a move? Lucy, thank you for joining us. Uh, big day tomorrow. I, I have to say, normally UK budgets... 
have become a bit of a yawn recently. This one is going to be anything other. What should we be expecting? I can't believe you just said that, Guy. I'm quite offended. Um, no, you're right. <laughs> to be fair, Lucy, he's been talking about this nonstop for weeks, so he's, like, all in right now. <laughs> he's not the only one. He's not the only one. But, um, yeah, tomorrow's the big day. And basically, the, I think, you know, to think about it is we're still in a crisis here. We're still in lockdown here. So this is still very much a COVID budget. So don't feel like you're moving on with anything. Um, I think what we're going to see possibly is a lot of extension of things that already exist. So things like the survey scheme, it looks like we're going to get that extended. Uh, things like the business rates holiday, uh, the tax reduction for hospitality, that would look like it's going to be extended. Perhaps um, universal credit, which is the state benefits here, that has been uh, increased during the crisis. And it looks like that will continue for longer again as well. So really a lot of extensions as opposed to big, new, exciting, shiny policies, I would say. What about shiny policies of tax increases? Oh, that's a good question. And as I say, we're still in the crisis. You don't want to scare people off. So I think there's going to be talk about tax uh, increases. And, you know, at the end of the day, Sunak is Sunak's a Tory chancellor. He doesn't, he doesn't like this kind of big spending kind of way it's been recently. And he will want to talk about balancing the books, but he also doesn't want us all to keep our newly our new savings that we managed to accrue during the last year when we can go out. He doesn't want us saving those up for tax bills instead of going out to spend, spend, spend when we can. Uh, in terms of investment, what are we going to learn there? There's talk uh, of a, a infrastructure bank. How is that going to be funded? How is it going to be financed? What is it going to do? That's an interesting question. We're really looking forward to finding out more on this. I think it's a really important kind of measure that we need to be looking at because they do want this idea of building back better. And companies have taken on huge amounts of debt during this crisis. So a new infrastructure bank would really be able to help people invest. And, you know, and also we're looking for some grants to help businesses to, again, just invest and be able to reopen Things like ventilation systems, changes they need to make to their, you know, to their layout to allow social distancing. So, yeah, is it going to be really important to see what he come up with there? So in the U.S., if a president or treasury secretary or something lays out something like this, it's like partisan bananas towns. Like everyone hates on it or they love it. You know, it's like mudslinging at each other. Does the same thing happen in the U.K.? Or are you guys much nicer about it? Oh, that's I think I think you um, would know I the think... answer to that question. We're, we're much nicer. <laughs> no, no, so. you're much nicer and polished for <laughs> sure. But is it the same? But like at some point, has become this like partisan um, volleyball that actually you can't volleyball. get concrete stuff. I think there's less of that. There's less of that being held back. Um, you know, the measures which are being held back. What I do think we're going to see is. The complaint that we've seen throughout this crisis is that Sunak's measures always appear quite short-term. Um, if we get an extension of furlough tomorrow, that will be the fifth extension in less than a year since it started. Because every time, it's it's quite a short-term policy. And people each yeah. time have said, oh, if they get towards the end of it, people are going to be laid off. Because companies need to make these decisions earlier. And then, at, you know, at five minutes to midnight, yeah, Sunak announces that it's going to be extended again. And I think that complaint will probably be continuing.
Lucy, looking forward to the coverage tomorrow. Thank you very much indeed. Bloomberg's Lucy Meekin. Uh, political volleyball. That sounds like an exciting thing to be doing. Like Doesn't ping it? pong, yes. Volleyball? You don't like volleyball? What? Volleyball rocks. Beach volleyball? This is Beach volleyball. <laughs> this is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. One of the really great interviews over the last 24 hours uh, came from our own Ed Hammond talking exclusively with uh, Jimmy Dimon, the CEO and chairman of J.P. Morgan. Many topics, doesn't like treasuries, just beat the dead horse with that one. But uh, they also talked about sort of the gamification of the market um, and sort of the struggle between these retail investors versus hedge funds. We wanted to play a little clip to set the stage. One bit of the industry that obviously has been savage to some extent recently is it's the short-selling hedge funds. Do you think that industry is in crisis because of this effect we're seeing or this phenomena of the, the retail trader? Absolutely not. I, the, the, the retail train in dollars is a teeny, the, what you're talking about is a teeny wee little bit of market. The market is global. I mean, something like $10 trillion is bought and sold every single day. And when we say investors, you're talking about retail investors, pension plans, hedge funds, money managers. Uh, individuals. I've been buying and selling stocks since I've been 12 or 13. So I, I believe in that. But my dad taught me how to read a balance sheet when I was 13. It wasn't just, you know, maybe I was guessing a little bit. But uh, but I look, it opens it up. But no, there, there are legitimate complaints about short selling, more around transparency and the duplication of the vote of the ability to short sell the stock. There are legitimate issues around all these things. That, you know, if, if the regular is going to be looking at payment forward to flow, high frequency trading, uh, uh, disclosure about ownership, voting, short selling. Those are good things. That was Jamie Dimon uh, talking to our own Ed Hammond. Here with us with more is Bloomberg Wall Street reporter Shanali Basik. Um, this is sort of dealing with what we're also hearing currently from D.C. in terms of the hearings of Gary Gensler and Rohit Chopra, um, who's going to be heading, hopefully, the CFP, CFPB. Whew, that's such a tough one. They need to come up with better names. Um, what's going to be in store in terms of regulation when we talk about the, the retail investor? They certainly hit all the hot button issues, Alex, and that includes, you know, this retail frenzy and getting more disclosure about the Wall Street counterparties. Right now in market making, especially high frequency trading, it is a pretty defined set of players with Citadel Securities taking the lead. And so they will take a look at how payment for order flow works uh, and the disclosures around it, as well as this concentrated market. They also hit on crypto, uh, which was interesting because, as we know, Coinbase is about to go public, and Gensler himself did address directly that the crypto exchanges in particular is something that he will be taking a look at. Uh, in terms of what Gensler is is likely to see as job number one, how is he? What what is what are the kind of priorities? What's one, two, and three, uh, and where does Wall Street see him having the biggest impact? Well, let's start where he's getting the most pressure. There's Elizabeth Warren that pointed out three things in particular. That's climate disclosures, uh, that's private equity, and that's the stock market being treated as a casino. So that worry that the retail investor is not getting their fair shake. On climate, that's a huge issue that every major investor wants some clarity on about what are going to be the disclosure requirements and how much of that is um, going to be in the realm of material information for a company. So we can expect that for him to address uh, very, very quickly on. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like we're seeing a lot of companies already trying to get ahead of that. But I think the issue there is that there's no common 
agreement as to what the terms are or like what sustainability means or like what greening is like there's none of, there's no common denominator so there's going to have to be um, a lot of shakeout uh, when it comes to that I also think that the line that I feel like he'll have to thread line no the needle he'll have to thread that's the that one sounds right, about right. That, that's a little bit better I don't sew that's really <laughs> not my jam um, is that if you're advocating for quote unquote the little guy you need the they need the free trades but anything you do um, in terms of payment for order flow could actually circle back and hurt the little guys resulting in non-free trades I don't know how you like square that peg yeah, it's a great it's a great point, Alex, because if you get rid of payment for order flow, something like that is more than 50% of Robin Hood's revenue. It's the bulk of their business model. And if you it really makes free trade available, but, but with that said, a simple thing to do is increase disclosure around how much of price improvement the consumer is actually getting. I think that would help clear up a lot of questions and um, either justify or negate the model. Um can I just switch gears a little bit? What's going on at Goldman Sachs? People seem to be running for the door. Uh, yes, there is certainly a lot of change. I do want to remind everybody that there has been a lot of change at the top of Goldman Sachs since David Solomon took over a couple years ago, and it's right after bonus season. So if you're going to leave, this is the time to do it. Uh, but with that said, you know, there is something to say about Goldman changing its business model, looking to be leaner, looking to be more cost efficient, and some of the more expensive people leaving the building. Um, of course, this will put pressure on them to perform, right? Key executives and consumer leaving, the, um, the general counsel leaving, uh, Eric Lane, longtime leader at the asset manager, one of the biggest asset managers in the world leaving. So again, um, lighter uh, in terms of management, probably better for costs, but pressure is on to perform. Can we just talk about the superficiality that I'm going to say right now? Um, do we want to guess at like Eric Lane's signing bonus? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, boy. To leave <laughs> Goldman... <laughs> And go to tag. Oh my God! I mean, the money that's got to be moving right now has got to be enormous. So Tiger Global, you know, this young upstart yeah. Tiger Cub uh, crushed yeah, it last year. Know. Like the whole thing. Yeah, and what it says about the future growth of these new generation of hedge funds—it's really—it's um, something to watch. It's really something to watch. We were talking about this earlier. I just wanted to get your take. Charlie, do you get a sense that that Wall Street is Wall, how different is Wall Street going to be as an attractive place to work post pandemic? How, how do you define Wall Street, right? It's for the, finan- the, fin- the finance industry. Yeah, I mean, here, if you're going to work in uh, fintech, fintech is getting more money than almost every other type of um, fledgling technology industry. So fintech is getting a lot of money. It's getting a lot of attention. It has really big, interesting players like Jack Dorsey. Um, but, you know, and the hedge funds, again, they're raising money again, right? They, they, for years of outflows, there are new upstarts that are now playing more in private markets and venture capital that are making the game exciting again. They're, they're engaging in high-flying IPOs. Of course, all of this stops if the market tumbles. But for huh. now, that's That's an interesting caveat. Shanali, thank you very much indeed. Alex? I was saying it brings us back to the top of the show. What pops the bubble? Nice and circular. At least we found a theme. Yeah, right? We did it. This is the cable.